such a it has oh yeah, it has left quite a deep impression or deep impressions on my mind and I remember like in most of you probably know like in January I was with two or three of the other sisters in Thailand and that was a very amazing and wonderful experience and very I felt very uplifted and enriched and and very moved, deeply moved by it. And then towards the end of January coming back here, but like also what I feel what stayed with me from that time in Thailand was really that feeling of a different kind of connection with this tradition. And I feel something has, has kind of almost like there's this feeling of has settled into my heart about this and Definitely kind of one aspect of that is a different way of looking at the place of renunciation, which of course is a big part of, of monastic life. And then coming back from Thailand in the end of January and settling back in here felt like I mean, what I think for what I felt most like what in the first days was just wanting to hibernate, kind of finding a place to curl up, put the <laughs> blanket over the head and just disappear. <laughs> it was just so, so strange coming back from the warmth and the fullness and the fullness of experience, but also traveling, meetings, and meeting very, um, like some really realized beings, and 
how that is affecting you and then you come back into your monastery everybody's on retreat in silence and it's cold it's gray <laughs> and it was just like I, I it was just such a contrast and after a few days after arriving here starting with my self-retreat and that was a very different kind of experience. It was quite, there was, a, there was a feeling of intensity around that time. And partly that came from having, kind of having made a decision to just eat very little. And that is when, like, um, my body is not so well, it's not so healthy, so I needed to kind of just very simply needed to reduce some weight, and not eating much helps with that, as most of you know, probably. <laughs> and um, what, what came with that was for at least, like say, from the afternoon onwards until the next morning or the next, yeah, before noon, when the meal came, like when there was food. Um, an intense experience of longing. I mean, partly, simply longing for having some food, eating and satisfying the, the desire of the body to be nourished. So I have been do doing a lot of fasting or many fastings before in my life, but it was always kind of really cutting off from eating. And when you do that after a few days, you actually don't feel hungry anymore. With this one, it was different because I was eating little, and so there was almost for, or, yeah, for more than 12 hours a day, there was, there was desire. And, and it was a very interesting experience, and after a few days I looked at it and I said, okay, let's just instead of struggling around with it and trying to ignore it and trying to kind of deny it a bit and not really acknowledging what is happening, try to take that as the theme of your, as the main theme of your solitary time now. And it was very interesting. Like, it was like turning towards it, and in a way I, I said to it, okay, desire, show me your different faces, show me your different masks, how you are coming up, how you are taking place in, in this situation in, and in general. 
And to my surprise, the, there were lots of movement. It was a time that was very vivid and very alive. And what I, what I noticed is that, I mean, one thing very obvious, like when, when the body is hungry, when, when it needs food, or when, when there's this desire for food, it stays for you for a while. And if you are actually not following the impulse of eating, it, it disappears and it comes back and it disappears and it comes back and it disappears again. And I think this is, and what I, what I discovered is, and it's not the first time in my life, of course, but what I discovered is that with, with desire there is there is the impulse of reacting, of acting on it. And if, if you just step back, if you just watch it, actually the whole thing changes. It changes to the point that not only the desire to act upon it, but even the the need or the, the physical need itself disappears. It just dissolves, at least for a while. And what I, what I felt quite interesting in that experience was also to see how, how the face of desire is changing. If I'm not fulfilling the desire for food, it might just change its face and it turns into a completely different kind of desire. It can turn into, like say, sexual desire. It can turn into desire for, for becoming. It can, it can turn into like suddenly you, you notice a very strong view about something coming up in, in you. And it, it feels like in general there is this potency, this energy of desire, and it tries to find a way to manifest itself. If you are not acting on the first impulse, which was, I mean, for me, which was almost all the time there, like having the desire to, to eat or having just imagination about delicious food that wasn't there. And when not acting on it, when turning the mind away from it actively, it actually it, it was like almost like desire transforming itself into something else that I could long for. It was like there was 
underlying this feeling of longing and if it does not, if it's not able to manifest in this way, then it, it changes and tries to manifest in another way. And what it felt like there was, basically, there was a very strong sense of desire and sometimes it felt like I want and it doesn't matter actually what I want. <laughs> like I, I want to get something and never mind what. And I'm not sure if, if that makes sense to, to you, but it was such a it was such a strong and potent experience and it left me really with this feeling, ah, if I actually don't act, then I can see how the different, the, the different kinds of desire can just play out one after the other. And when you are not acting upon it, you can just, it's almost like a movie that is taking place in your mind. And you can watch the different aspects, the different faces, the different manifestations of it. And what was important in that was to really have stability in the practice, like the practice of mindfulness and also concentration practice helped me to be, to be actually able to, to hold that in a container where it could play out in without getting into any action or any reaction to it. And I mean, being on a solitary retreat where you don't meet anybody, you don't, you don't, you hardly speak any word, you, you are really left in a confinement where, where this energy can play out without actually play out just really in your mind without getting into any action or any reaction, any speech or, or any physical uh, bodily actions. And like what I found very interesting by experiencing that was to see that what in the first moment we do experience maybe as very unpleasant, can just giving it a bit of time can change and it becomes neutral and, and you actually are, you don't feel so driven by these kind of desires anymore. You can, you can hold them, them. You, you know you can be with them and actually they are, they are images in your mind 
and also like this experience of actually they are just passing through my mind and if I don't hold them, if I don't um, make more out of it, they are, they are transient. They are coming and they are going. And of course, when you are hungry, it doesn't mean that, that when, you kind of, when you have encountered it once, that it doesn't come back. An hour later, maybe the whole thing un, uh, plays out again. And then you start again working with it. But I found it a really very potent experience in regards to turning fully towards desire, opening up towards desire. And like one thing that, that came up just recently when, when I was looking at that was a memory of something I read or heard before. And I mean, I think many of you know the stories of Pooh the bear. And like he says, the honey tastes more, most delicious just be, or is most delicious just before you eat it. And that was, that was something that I experienced again and again, was like how seductive the experience of desire is, what it promises, what it suggests is so, in, in many ways, so different than the reality of actually experiencing the fulfillment of desire. And like, during my retreat, I came to, to a point where, where I was, <laughs> where I was so much longing for food. It was, I had a special time in the morning that I set up, okay, this is the time I'm eating and I'm not doing it before. And there was one day where, where I felt so, it wasn't even hungry, but there was the, the longing to fulfill the desire of wanting to eat. And so I had the things, like the breakfast things that, that was, uh, was given to me, and I took them and I was putting them on the shrine. And I, and I was looking at the things and just really saying, okay, just work with the senses. This is the experience of seeing it. This is how it looks like. What does it bring up in you? And I could see that, again, like just looking at it for a while, actually the desire for having it, for wanting it, dissolved. And then I was, I was going, and you might think I'm just crazy to, to do all that, but then I did do a next step and I just smelt it. I just smelt the, the food, like I had some fruit, I had some porridge, and I had some yogurt. And I just took it and just smelt it and put it back. And just 
again, noticing how the sense experience of smell influences the, the wanting, the sense of desire, the, the experience of desire, and how it kind of flares it up, and then again it calms down. And on the whole, what, what this experience did to me, it was kind of, it feels like it has taken away of the, I mean, if I can say that, of the fear of desire or of the seduction of desire. And what it has brought me to is really, really seeing how that works together with, for example, one aspect of the Eightfold Path, which is right intention. And like the Buddha says, like when we practice right intention, what is important, like what we are dealing with is greed, hatred, and delusion. And greed comes in form, form of desire, of desire for, I mean, of course, desire for food, of desire for becoming, desire for um, holding certain views. And I really feel, like, I really felt in practicing in that way, how, how, how this aspect of the path became much more alive, became much more obvious. And of course, and also like I said before, when I was in Thailand, I was very impressed by seeing the amount of renunciation that the forest archans have practiced, how their life unfolded, and the emphasis that they put on renunciation. And then bringing that together with the teaching of right intention, the intention of renunciation, the intention of goodwill and harmlessness, and how, how these are actually counteracting our, our kind of, how, how it counteracts our repetitive getting getting manifested, getting reborn in the wheel of samsara, craving, desire, longing, is what continuously keeps us in there, which, which leads us to get reborn into, into all kinds of different forms of of like mental birth. I don't mean like the 
kind of being dying and being reborn as like as a human being or in, in any other form, but how we are constantly getting reborn through that energy of craving. And I really feel like by actually turning towards desire and turning towards craving, towards longing, we actually can, in our practice, very directly experience how, how, how this energy or drive that, that gets us into acting and reacting can be counteracted by practicing renunciation. And I mean, renunciation is really the, the how do you say, the, 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 the counteractive element towards desire. And I think when, when the Buddha was, was um, how, how he was teaching that, or how he was bringing that out and over, was really making a point, it is not about suppressing. It is not about uh, pushing it away or denying it. You, you have to go to the point where you, where you can meet it and where you can see that actually you don't have to be you don't have to become a slave. You don't have to become um, a victim or being kind of overwhelmed by that. When you, when you know that craving, giving into craving, creates more and more and more, and there's no end to it. As more as we, as we try to fulfill our desires, as more, as more, or you could say, <clears throat> as more as I want, as more, no, as more as I get, as more I want. And it's kind of, there's a limitlessness to it. And when you can make that turn where you, where you actually say, okay, I allow the wanting itself to be there without giving into it. This is where, where there is an opportunity to, to kind of turn, turn the wheel around or to, to actually step out of getting reborn again and again into similar situations. Of course, one, another aspect that came with that kind of practice was seeing how desire when it is, or craving, when it is not 
fulfilled can turn into aversion. And I mean, it, it like in regards to food, it can turn, I mean, from my, my own experience was like, it can turn into a feeling kind of like what I experienced were feeling, feelings of impatience with myself, of not wanting to actually feel that desire, not wanting to have that longing to be there. And again, what, what was necessary to bring into that was really, again, giving it space, just allowing whatever was there just to unfold and to be with that. And as, as you probably know, like when, when desire turns into aversion, it kind of is a quite painful experience. It's just like it feels, and you can feel it in your heart, you can feel like how, how your, your body stiffens and is kind of trying to push away or trying to hold on to something. And again, giving it space and allowing it to be there without, without kind of making it bigger, without making it more than it just was or than it just is. Another aspect that came with that was seeing the different kind, like seeing suffering and the different layers of suffering that we can put on top of one, one, one another. And like seeing the frustration of not getting what you want and just that as experience in itself. And then when you put on top of that um, another layer of aversion that, that says maybe, but I should be able not to, I should be able to deal differently with that. And how that felt like it was almost like putting another screwing on top of the suffering, which made the suffering more intense and, and learning to, to let go of that, seeing, well, actually, this is something I, I just create on top of what is there already. And there's no need, or there, not even not no need. There, there is, it, I just intensify the, the, the suffering, the, the feeling of frustration and, and learning to, to loosening the, the grip on that, learning to, to 
to let go of holding on tightly to something that you can also just hold in the palm of your hand instead of grabbing at it. I think that's, that's like from, my, from this um, solitary time, this is kind of the most vivid that, that has stayed with me also afterwards. And, and I do feel like these times where we can really dig more deeply into our experiences and really kind of it, it feels like when you when you do practice in that way it feels like as if you pull off layer after layer after layer and and you and when you do that internally what unfolds is It, it, and with the letting go, it feels like inner space is opening up, is enlarging, and and it feels sometimes it feels almost like you you feel physically lighter. You feel you feel like there is just there's just space to be with whatever whatever comes and goes and I felt choosing this this theme of desire was I mean I've never done that before so clearly just really diving into that usually I have been working with desire only when it not only when it turned into suffering but but only when, when I really felt, okay, I have to. But this was more a clear choice of, of saying to myself, okay, Meta, just, can, can you just make the decision to, to look at desire and to really get in touch with it, touch deeply into it, experience it, allow yourself to understand it as deeply as you can. And I, I feel a lot of appreciation having had the space and the time to do that. It really feels like the, the grip of it has, I don't know for how long it will last, but the grip of it has become less. It feels like there is there is the drive that kind of gets you into it, the energy that pulls you into it is less strong. And it's quite amazing that when you actually really make the turn towards it and move into it, what happens is that there is a certain dissolving happening. What seems from further away 
quite, whether quite enticing or quite threatening or quite um, attractive, is turning into something much more neutral. It's like desire feels not so <laughs> almost like desire feels not so desirable anymore. And, and it sounds like a contradiction, but, but this is, these are the words that are coming out of that. Okay. That's like when I look back at the, this solitary time of this three months retreat, this is what, what has stayed with me. And I hope that, like, makes sense or that maybe it brings up in you memories of similar experience that that you have had in your practice but it was this this was quite an for myself it was quite an important experience and what I, what I also enjoyed in and still do enjoy in this time of of winter retreat is the readings uh, about Ajahn Chah's teachings that Ajahn Amaro does and, uh, and the reflections he gives with that. It feels like listening to, er, almost every day, listening to Ajahn Chah's teachings brings him much more into the foreground of consciousness, his teachings and, and his approach to Dhamma, his... his his tools that that he gives us, and I mean, during my solitary time, I I have been reading every day one or two of his of his teachings, and that often just really came exactly together with the theme that I experienced during that day itself, or it highlighted an aspect of experience. And it was very helpful. It kind of, it's like he, he, he guides you to really look at what your experience is. And one thing that I found also very helpful was like in one of the teachings he says, well, whatever arises in your mind, just the, the arising itself is actually not wholesome or unwholesome. It's when it becomes wholesome or unwholesome is when how you are how you are relating to it, how what you make out of it. Does it like if an unwholesome thought arises in your mind if you take that further into an intention to act or to speak, uh, to speak then, th then that is where actually it turns into becoming unwholesome. And I find that very helpful because very often we do experience like, say, negative thoughts coming up and we are immediately kind of punishing ourselves for it. 
instead of seeing it, well, actually, this is just a thought, and I have a choice of acting upon that or not. And I've, I find that also in my own practice really, really helpful to remind myself again and again, this is just a thought, that's not you, you don't need to identify, you don't need to attach with onto that and hold onto that in whatever way. So that is something that like like these teachings of Ajahn Chah have been have been really very vivid and have been very supportive in the practice itself. And thank you to Ajahn Amaro for your beautiful, also like your beautiful reflections on that, they are very helpful to kind of really make it alive, make it, put it into your practice directly. I think this is all what comes for tonight. I do offer this as a reflection and I hope it is beneficial. And I hope I haven't offended anybody in my words. It was not my intention.